Okay, microphone now, please, Timothy. And uh, my mic's on. Any questions from First, Second Timothy three ten to seventeen? Blank. What blank are you missing, Lee? Four. Eh. B. It will continue to grow, grow, and train you up as God's child. Grow. Um, to see zeal, lacking zeal. Any other missing blank? Oh, Deb. Two points. Anything else? What? Mature. Okay. So, questions. We got all sorts of places we can go. I got books. I'm ready to go down some. Oh, Alex. I, I think you use the term inscripturated. Is that yes. is that a word? You do too? Okay. Stay out of this, Mom. <laughs> An inscripturator, I like that. If it's not a word, it should be. Um, my question, how do you um, meld the the thought train where you have you know, act, think, feel uh-huh. with commands that command emotion. So like God loves a cheerful giver. Yeah. That's why I, I put the way I did. It doesn't always flow. Think, do feel. I think feelings tend to be, but I think feelings at the very least are the caboose behind thinking. I don't think there's any right feeling without right thinking. So if you look at the actual way I worded it, I allow for it to go both ways. Um, which is to say right feeling flows from right thinking and right doing. Now, sometimes the doing is the feeling. If God tells you to delight in his word, the doing is the feeling, right? I mean, but you still have to start with truth. You can't have the right feeling apart from truth. So I'd say truth is the fountainhead. Frequently, it's truth leading to action leading to feeling. And sometimes the feeling themselves is what God requires. And so it's truth the feeling. You know what I mean? But I think truth is still in the first position in either scenario. Fair enough? I, I get your point because you're, you're reading John Piper, and I am too. And he's talking, no, because John Piper's emphasis is Christians aren't just required. God doesn't call on his people just to do things, but to feel things, to love what is lovely, to hate what is hateful, to abhor what is abhorrent, to l- delight in what is delightful, and so, to give, to render unto everything its proper affection and respect and attention. And so it's not enough to just say, well, I did my duty. I did what I'm supposed to do. Well, did you enjoy doing it? My, my, my old professor, Stuart Scott, used to joke, joke. In implying this principle, the best way you can change your feelings towards someone you're angry at is to go serve them. Because the way God designed our hearts, it's hard to be embittered towards someone while you're acting lovingly. So he would say, if you look out your window and you see me mowing your lawn, you know I'm pretty ticked at you. <laughs> But the point, no, but the point being, it, it's the doing that frequently changes our, when there is something to do, when there is something to do in the in-between step, that's, 
The hard, I mean, you know this from experience. The hardest part is deciding to get up out of the chair and go do the dishes. Two minutes into the dishes is way easier doing dishes than when you're sitting on your chair deciding whether or not you want to get up. Because once you're actually doing it, God's designed us that when we're doing work, when we're doing what is right, his spirit testifies with our spirit. We, there's a sense of accomplishment, something. The, hard, the part where I least want to do dishes isn't when I'm doing dishes. It's when i got to stand up. <laughs> yeah, no, Lee. Wait, what microphone? Yeah, I yeah I listened to all these motivational blogs and stuff. And one of the things they say about doing things you hate doing is saying, "Well, I'll go do it for two minutes. I will literally plan on work doing decluttering, yeah. whatever." And that invariably, once like you say, once you're up moving, that's the ticket. Well, I do the same thing. I go with bike riding, and invariably in the first five minutes, I think to myself, "This was a bad idea." And no. No, invariably, when my, my body's loosening up. And so I always tell myself, look, I'm going to go 10 minutes, and then I'll see what I think. And if I still want to stop, 10 minutes. But usually, in, by the time I get to 10 minutes, my, my, I'm, I've limbered up, I'm, I'm feeling better, and I'll go ride for, you know. But I'll just, when I tell myself, I'm like, I don't want to do this. Okay, give it 10 minutes, see where you're at. Yep, yep. I, I usually, okay, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I have actually called Serena to pick me up once. No, I've, I've called Serena to pick me up before. Because she loves obeying her husband. She, of course she did. And she, no, I, no, I did it because I was, I was doing like a 30-mile ride, and I was so far out, and I was wiped. And so I'd been gone for like two hours. I was down past the airport, and I was like... Yeah, you're going to need to come pick me up because I'm falling over. It was not a 10-minute ride. It was, it was, it was, uh, and, I, and I made it worthwhile. I'm like, there's a, there's a Jimmy John's on floor. And so I got to the Jimmy John's. I'm like, if you pick me up, that'll be dinner. And then she loaded up the kids and we went because, yeah, 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 yeah. That's only happened like once or twice. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Other questions or thoughts? Deb. Well, I'd like to hear what you have to say about that, how what you're talking about is different than fake it till you make it. Sure. I think faking it till you're making it. Okay, so let me, let me actually back it up a step. What, what um, I'm talking about and what fake it to make it try to deal with both of them are trying to deal with the fact that frequently our feelings aren't in line with what we want to do. Part of becoming an adult is going to work when you don't feel like it. Part of becoming an adult is controlling your spirit. So even though you won't want to just stay in bed, you get up, right? I mean, there's, there's a sense of self-discipline, self-control that is, is inherent with, with growing up and not being a child. Children fall on the floor and cry when they're upset, you know? And so, there's a sense of which, even though I feel this way, I'm going to do this other thing. The danger with faking it to you making it is that you relegate feelings to be completely unimportant. There's, there's a version of Christianity that John Piper in particular is pushing back against, which actually goes so far as to make not enjoying something virtuous. The, the, the notion that the more you dislike doing it, the more virtuous it is that you did it. Um, and, and in one sense, I suppose... Being able to master your body and your actions such that even though you hate doing the thing, you did it. There is some value to that, I suppose. But Piper's point is, 
Isn't it better when we delight in doing what's good? Isn't it better when we love serving God? And so there's a sort of stoicism that says, all that matters is that I do. In fact, there's this lie, God can't command your emotions. So I love can't be an emotion. Like, dude, and Piper's done a fantastic job of showing numerous places where God commands our emotions. He tells us to love things, to delight in things, to, to long for things. Um, and so it's nonsense to say God can't command our emotions. And yet we find ourselves powerless to immediately affect our emotions, by which I mean my manipulation of my emotions has to, deal, has to go through secondary causes. I can't just reach in to my heart and stop loving what I love and start loving what I don't love. I have no direct power on my emotions, but I have plenty of indirect power. Like I was saying before, I can get up and say, so, so the fake it to make, the, the contrast, I'll use Piper's contrast, would be um, if God's calling on me to serve my wife and I don't want to, all that matters is that I do it and I've done my duty and God can't command my emotions. I, I think that would, be, that would turn you into a Pharisee. I think, what, I think the thing to do is rather to recognize the emotion should be there confess the lack of those emotions to God and pray that he might generate them in the doing of it. So practically it would mean, Lord, I ought to delight in serving my wife. And quite honestly, I don't right now. I'd like her to serve me. And I know that's wrong. And so in faith, I'm going to act upon what I know to be true, even though I don't feel like it. But Lord, I know what you really want is a heart and affections that are pleased and happy to do these things. Lord, would you, while I do it, would you increase my faith and, and, and turn my heart so that I might begin to delight in those things? That, I think, is, is what we ought to be doing. The danger is to simply say, all that matters is that I did it, and skip over the feelings, as if they're completely unimportant. The caboose is an important part of the train. It's just not the engine. What I mean by putting the caboose is plenty of people I know are just using the lack of feeling for why they don't do something. What they basically are saying is, as soon as God makes me want to love my neighbor, I'll love my neighbor. As soon as God makes me want to share my faith, I'll share my faith. Like, that's not the way it generally works. Usually God forces us to act on faith and obedience, and then he increases our faith and he blesses us. And he, he you know, usually it's, here's, I'm the living God, here's what I've said, what will you do? And then we can respond in faith or unbelief. And if we respond in faith, then I think we get blessings and all sorts. But rarely is it God just zapping me with, all of a sudden, I just want to do dishes. (laughs) Nothing would make me happier. That's not usually how it works. Usually it's, here's what's true. You promised to serve this woman. You've been serving yourself for the last hour. Why don't you serve her? Now there's this crisis in my mind and my heart of what do I believe and what's true. I guess that's true. Yeah, I bet you got to get up. And then five minutes into doing dishes, I'm whistling and feeling great. But usually in my experience, and, and when I see biblically, it's, it's the showdown of what we're going to believe, the truth of the lies. It's not what I'd like it to be, which is, can you just make me want to do it first? Um, and yet so often with people I meet, that, that's where they're at. That my lack of motivation, my lack of caring, is why I can't do anything, and God could just make me care, I'd do something. So, Don. I think kind of the same way, different. Uh, how do I know if it's uh, God telling me to do something or it's my OCD? 
<laughs> Is this a question or do you have an answer to that? Uh, I'll let you. <laughs> no, it, the question, how do I know if God's telling me to do something or if it's my OCD? Um, no, that's fair. That's fair. You can take... So James has got this sort of dangerous principle. To him who knows the good he should do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. Right? I mean, you know what dangerous is? I can think of a lot of good things to do. Does that mean that any good thing that flies into my head at any particular minute is sinful for me not to do? No, I don't think it means that. Because I could think of 20 exclusionary things. I couldn't do all of them at once. I could think I could go give every last penny in my bank account to that guy on the side of the street. I think that'd be a good thing to do. Whether it's a wise thing to do is another question. I think I can do that in faith. Or I could give it to that guy. Or I could go over here and do that. I can't do all these things at once. Um, so I think part of living by faith, is your favorite Psalm is 2590. It's one of my favorites. Psalm of Moses, teach us to number our days, make divisions in our days. I need God's wisdom to know how to portion things out. I, I, part of what I think living by faith is, is looking at the whole picture of ordering your life. So... If I'm doing that, I've got some idea of what we've planned and purposed. I mean, isn't it interesting that God doesn't just make the heavens and the earth? He says to himself, let us make the heavens and the earth first. What does that reveal about God? Planning. Purposeful. He makes plans. He doesn't just act spontaneously. Not that there isn't room for spontaneity, but we learn our God's orderly. There's planning. There's purpose. So in one sense... In a very real sense, it is godly to say, today I will do such and such, and then to go do it. And if you're constantly making plans and bungling them, that's ungodly. God isn't like that. Not that there can't be exceptions that come up, right? But, but if in general, the plans you make you never follow through with for no good reason, that's ungodly. It's not like the character of God that's revealed. So if you're planning and doing those things, I think that'll help sort out some of the OCD versus the spontaneous, this thought came into my mind, maybe I should go do it. Um, doing things in faith boils down ultimately to, can I believe God is pleased, based on what I know in his word, can I believe God is pleased to me doing this? And, and that's where we have freedom. Uh, this is a, an important principle. God does not call on you, require of you, to do what is best. Let me tell you what I mean. Here's what I mean. You may have seven or eight legitimate options in front of you. God requires that you act in love and in faith. And I've seen, I only say it because I've seen people try to trip up and bind their conscience over, but what's best? So I'll, I'll use an example. You're out with five of your friends, and you come across a $50 bill on the side of the road. You pick it up. It's real. No idea whose it is. And you, the, the six of you come up and beginning a discussion what to do with the $50. And one of them says... You should um, save that for future car repairs. Your car's got some rust on it, and probably a good idea to do that. The next person says, you should give that to the church. They'll know what to do with it. The next one says, you should send that to the church supported missionary. They said they had a, a, a need come up. And the next one says, you should take your wife or your husband, depending on who you are in the story, out to dinner to celebrate what a blessing they are to you. And the next one says, you should put it in the bank for some future need. Who's right? Which one of those is best? I would suggest that you could do every one of those things in faith. Nowhere am I aware of God saying, Jeremy, you better choose the best thing. Um, as if somehow I chose to take my wife out to dinner 
And God's like, you know, what you really should have done is saved it for the car repair. Or what you really should. God requires that we act in faith and we act in love. Um, and against this, Paul says, there is no law. So if you were to take, take my analogy one step further, this is an important principle for Christian freedom and the conscience. Let's suppose, because uh, I, I know a situation that's happened. A friend of mine was at a church that had a surplus one year, and there's this vote about what to do with the surplus. I'll, I, I'll give a concrete example. And this is a church in Iowa, somewhere else. And the, the two options that came down to is they could give the money to like a, a single mother's battered women's center for, for kids, or they could make a love gift offering over and above to their church supportive missionaries as a blessing to them. And the church voted to give the money to the missionaries and to have the pastor, they were going to also buy the pastor ticket to go out and visit one of them. And my friend was complaining to me, I mean, not terribly, but definitely in a disapproving sense, that what he had proposed, he was the guy purporting to support the, the women's center, was better. And why didn't they choose what was better? And I said, look, man, I don't think that's a valid criteria. I, I don't think God anywhere, I think God requires them only that they act in faith and love. Maybe what you're getting at is my church doesn't care for the widow and the orphan. If that's the case, that's a problem, but you have to expose that. I know, if what you're, if what you're really getting at is again and again and again, we have, the, we have the opportunity to help the widow and the orphan, and you say no, maybe that does reveal a heart that doesn't care for the widow and the orphan. That's certainly not okay. It's not okay to not care about the widow and the orphan. That's true in undefiled religion, James. Um, but in this particular instance, could they do what they did in faith and in love? There is no law, dude. You can't hold them up to some law. So if we teleport back to my $50 bill example, if I, uh, if I were to uh, choose to take Serena out to dinner, and JP was with me, and JP thought I should give it to uh, Jai Pandi in India. What? <laughs> and no, and this, and I role plays out with me one step further. He comes to me, he's like, hey, Jeremy. I, I really thought that that was the better thing to do with it, you know. Um, sure, sure, wife, but you guys have food. You're not short of food, and and you you didn't have to take her out. You could have eaten at home, but you know he's on the mission field and he's sacrificing so much. And I, it became clear to me he was doing more than just asking me why I chose what I chose, but really suggesting to me I failed ethically. That really what was right and best was this other thing, and he's really coming trying to correct me. I think what I'd hope what I'd say is something like, look, JP, um, I, I'm only aware that God requires me to act in faith and in love. And I'm happy to tell you how I was able to take my wife out to dinner in faith and in love. Um, but, but beyond that, I'm not aware of any law that I'm under that you're holding me to. Um, and, and I've seen people wrestling with this better, best thing. And you can chase your tail because you will always second guess whether what you did was best. Um, I, 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 I know of somebody who, literal conscience issue, real conscience issue. Would it be better to pray on the drive home from work or listen to Christian music and worship music? And really getting tore up over that because, no, 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 because maybe one of those is best. What if I'm choosing one over the other because I'm being lazy? What if I'm choosing one over the other because... I'm not as sanctified as I should be. And those are real conscience issues. I don't want to minimize that for a second. But I think biblically there's a freedom 
too. So when James says, whoever knows the good he should do, it's not just some idea popping in. Like, you know. And I'll leave it that God can let you know, Jeremy, you need to go pray. Like, I, I, the Spirit can communicate what we need to do. You need to go get up off your butt and do some dishes. You serve your wife. Certainly. But it doesn't mean, back to your OCD question, that any random thought that pops into my head is... That's the danger I think you can get into when you're looking for the Holy Spirit in every sort of intuition and every sort of, was that the Spirit? You know, yeah. Now, certainly the Spirit communicates through feelings. What is conviction of sin but a feeling? No doubt. But I, I don't think it's like Easter eggs hidden around. I think when God wants to get your attention and make it clear that you, he's got some good work for you to do, you need to do. He, he, at least in my case, he gets my attention pretty clearly, and it's not left like I'm trying to parse tea leaves. Um, so, so back to this better, best thing. What God requires is that you act in faith. Now, the one ex- there is one exception to that, and that's exigency. Um, exigency is the term for extreme, sudden need. Turn to Titus. Um, the one exception to this principle is urgent need. Exigent. So in our laws, a police officer normally would require a warrant or your permission to enter your house, Unless they hear someone screaming for help. That's an exigent circumstance. And in that circumstance, they don't need a warrant. They can just come in your house. They can bust down the door if they need to. Um, And so extreme situations are the exception. So in Titus, um, where is it? Uh, Hold on. Um, Yeah, right at the end there. In verse 14, no, 13. Do your best to speed Zenus. There's a name for you. Zenus, sorry. The lawyer. What? Zenus. Warrior princess. Um, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So let me give you an example, a counterexample. Let's imagine um, JP and Natalie, uh, their house while they're at church has burnt down. And let's imagine for some uh, reason, uh, some loophole in their insurance policy, the, the, the insurance company is refusing to pay. And they're, they're... Let's further imagine um, they, they, in trying to cover the law, they're in financial need. They need a place to stay. They're, they're actually at the point where like, they don't have a place to stay. There's, there's a bunch of... I got, I mean, just imagine, so I don't have to invent scenarios, but just imagine at the point where like, they, they are homeless. I think according to James, right, your brother or sister comes to you naked without food, and you say, go warm and be fed. That, that's an urgent situation. Like, I'm not free if I'm able to help to say no. In the same way with widows, let them, their own family take care of them. Here's an urgent need. You're not free to say, well, I th- so now we're back to finding the 50 bucks. I just picked up the 50 bucks, and someone points who says, these members of our body who we've sworn to love and to uphold and help are in need. It's urgent. You, not you should. You, you need to give that to them. In that case, I'm going to take my wife out to dinner instead. Uh-uh. There's a case of urgent need, and James has some really hard things to say to people that say, we're praying for you. We're praying that you are warm and fed. God be with you. Send them a picture, right, right. No, so, so when there's urgent need, especially in our body, this is where I think that we have s- s- circles of responsibility, right? So that Paul can say, if you don't take care of your own household, you're worse than an unbeliever. And it, those circles of responsibility move out. 
Um, so cases of urgent need, you're not free. You're not free to say, well, I want to do this other good work over here. But this is one of the reasons why God can give so many of us so many different things to do. One person's passionate about doing a I know people who are pan- passionate about working with the homeless in Des Moines. Um, and they go to Hope Ministries, and they give their time and stuff there. And, and somebody else is passionate about um, Uganda, or someone else is passionate about inner city munitions. And that's awesome. God's going to use his people to do all sorts of good works. And you can try to show the beauty of what you're doing, but apart from urgent matters, there's a freedom. Like, who's to say whether you should spend your time in Awana or with homeless ministries or, or whether you should be, you know, doing street evangelism or whether you, there's all sorts of things that you can do in faith. And I don't know of any metric by which to establish better, 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 best. Which isn't to say that you can't prioritize. I mean, if, if um, let's not pick on JP. Let's, uh, let's say Timothy is going to start a new ministry. Timothy wants to raise monies to buy a Lamborghini. Because he thinks, he thinks if he had a Lamborghini, he could, get, he could offer to take people out for rides in it and witness to them while they're driving around. <laughs> to which I would say, I don't see why you couldn't do that in faith, but I have no interest in supporting it. Right? Now, if he inherited a Lamborghini and he chose, what are you going to do with your Lamborghini? I'm going to let people take out for test drives. And I'm going to witness to him. Sure. Like, right? There's liberty in Christ. But I can look at that and say, I think it's a pretty, if he's trying to raise the money, I'm like, that may seem beautiful to you, brother, but it seems kind of silly to me. You know, um, and, uh, and, and, and that's fine. There's, 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 you can have a priority for what you're doing. Even our church has got priorities for what types of things. We're, we're more interested in unreached peoples. Well, why? Well, it just seems good to us. But someone else could be like, no, what we need to do is strengthen the church in order to reach places. What really we need to do is be strengthening the church. Dude, look at Europe, dude. Tell me that Europe's reached, and tell me Europe isn't dead. Europe could use some strengthening. So someone else, some other church, some other people, they could be, that's their passion. I met one guy when I was in seminary. He just wants to see Islam break. And like that's his, like God puts these good things on their heart. Who's right? Who's best? Nobody. Because it can all be done in faith. And, and we, the temptation for us is to think the thing we're passionate about is more important than the thing the other guy's passionate about. Um, and, and recognize we each stand and fall before our own master. And what matters is that we're acting in faith and in love. By faith, I mean biblically informed faith, not feelings. I've got peace. Jonah had peace too. Two men fell asleep in ships during a storm, the Lord Jesus and Jonah. Just because you have experiential peace doesn't prove you're not Jonah. Uh, Right? Right? Well, you're not Jesus. I don't need to... The sleep doesn't prove it, though, Lee. No, you might have experiential peace and be righteous, or you might be experientially peace and be Jonah, like whatever. Um, so biblically, the, acting in faith isn't acting with confidence. Acting in faith is saying, here's what God said, and in light of what God has said, here's why I think this is pleasing to him. This is why this is acceptable to him. Um, no, and, and I think that works down to everything. I, I've met, I, I encourage you to work through it, because I've met people that it's clear they suspect, Lewis talks about this, C.S. Lewis, People who suspect that if really they gave God what he wanted, they'd never have a moment for themselves. Well, I used to think of that. Look, if every moment people are dying and going to hell, how could I ever have time to watch TV? And I'd say in a bigger framework, God has designed me for work and rest. 
that, I mean, think about the significance of this. God never sleeps. Every 16 hours or so, you lie down helpless and unconscious. And one of the reasons you do that is so God can remind you you're not God. It gets good for us to rest. And leisure can become a God, and leisure can be inordinate. But, like, is it right as I plan out my life? I think it's right for me to plan out times of rest and refreshment. And part of rest and refreshment can be leisure, right? So in that framework, how is it that you can play a board game while people are dying and going to hell? Because God has laid out a whole pattern for life, and part of that pattern is rest and refreshment. And we've planned this time, and so it's good, and it's offered up to him, and I think it's holy, and that's how I do it in faith. You know? But you've got to actually look at the whole big picture to be able to fit that in. The only other alternative is to have a guilty conscience the whole time thinking, if I ever were to stop and think through this, I'd never get to do anything, so I'm just going to not think about it. That's just the way to have a guilty conscience. That's, that's not good. That's a whole big paradigm of ethics, but I think it's really important. Questions on any of that, if that wasn't clear? But really trying to smash down this notion of you need to figure out the best. Do what's right and good and do it in faith and in love. And there's, against this, there's no law. Any, any questions on that? Use, I'll use one other, one other example. Um, we haven't had this problem as much lately, but we have, the elders even had to talk through this. When you write a letter, you want, to, you want to, Paul says, give attention to be kind and courteous and polite and, and gentle and reasonable, right? Okay. How much? And if we're editing a letter or something, in one sense, you could always come back and say, it could be improved upon. And so we had to, amongst ourselves, figure out, okay, how, how much time... Do we want to put into this? Because in one sense, if you're, if you're saying, if your standard is, could it be better, this document will never be complete. Right? Now, the alternative isn't just first draft, whatever. So let's, let's make sure we spend some time in prayer considering gentleness, kindness, politeness in what we're saying. And then let's move on. And if somebody were to come back and say, well, I just, I, I thought it could have been kinder, you know, no, no, no. But, dude, people passive-aggressively do this all the time. They'll say, I, I, I know what you're saying is right, but I just, I just wish you'd been kinder about it. And the first time somebody says that to me, I'll nod and say, yeah, no, thank you. I, I, I can certainly grow in being kinder, yeah. But, it, but you can tell when they're doing the passive-aggressive thing when they say it like the third or fourth time. And that's when you need to... It's, I haven't found a great way to do this without being direct, but... That's like the third or fourth time you've said you wish we were, I was kinder. Is what you're really meaning to say it was unkind? Is, is that what you think? Like, and, and, and try to make it clear. Like, fair enough, maybe it was. You know, are you actually saying it was unkind? Because I kind of think that's what you're saying, but the third or fourth time. And if that's the case, that's something we can really consider and look at. But if you're not prepared to say it was unkind, or at least you don't think it's worth even considering that it was unkind, if all you're saying is there were higher heights of kindness it could have reached, and I'm not trying to say that like flippantly, like, absolutely, let's move on now, of course, of course, you know, um, do you think it failed in its lack of kindness? Do you think there was more kindness that ought to have been there that wasn't? You know, and I'm not trying to trap somebody, or, but Sure. I mean, so Paul can say, as you abound in love, abound all the more. Fair enough. Like, you can say, like, you're doing a good job loving, do even more of it. Great. 
But he's not rebuking people for that. That's an exhortation, an encouragement. Um, so, so, fair enough. We must not be unkind. We must not be hasty. We must not be harsh. We must not be quarrelsome. I'll always be able to be more patient. I'll always be able to be gentler. I'll always be able to be kinder. That doesn't give me an excuse to not be those things. But it also doesn't give someone else an unlimited whip with which to say, well, you could have been kinder. Right? And that's, again, the way this tyranny of the best can come in. It, it's, it's, it's a burden that neither we nor our fathers can bear because there will always be a kinder, wiser, better, smarter, godlier decision. And you'll always be guilty. Okay? Questions, thoughts on any of that? I'm willing to spend the time here because I really think freeing your conscience up on this biblically is, is, is worthwhile. Um, I think it's really worthwhile. <sighs> Oliver O'Donovan, Resurrection and Moral Order. But really it wasn't Oliver O'Donovan. It was my friend Carl Hoffman who'd read Oliver O'Donovan, and we were chatting about it. And then as we were pressing this out, um, no, because it, it happened exactly because I was doing the whole thing like, yes, that choice, but I think this would have been better. And he's a sharp guy, and we have a good enough friendship you can call me on. He's, are, you, are you, in fact, saying I erred by not choosing this better thing? And I said, well, not like it was a big, bad sin, but I guess that's what I'm saying. And he's like, yeah, well, then I really disagree with you there. And I said, oh, and then we had this big discussion. Um, so that was, but let, and then I'm like, well, where were you reading this? He's like, well, Oliver O'Donovan, and The Resurrection of Moral Order. That was good. Um, so, but I base it in Galatians, right? So like, go, let me go, go to Galatians 6. Um, No, it's five. Sorry, five. Verse 16 through 23. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evidence, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he's laying out this principle of walking in the Spirit, not being under law, and he sets up this, this fruit check. Whatever they say they're doing, if they're bearing this fruit, they ain't walking in the Spirit. <laughs> Right, so you can be certain. So, if somebody's is is walking in darkness and bearing this fruit, like no, no, I'm just following the spirit. Like no, they're not. They're walking in the flesh. The fruit of the spirit, on the other hand, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things there is no law. So if that's the fruit that's being born, and we're we're walking. So now, do you get a sense of principles and rules to come in? No, I think I can show you that what I'm doing is in this fruit of the Spirit category. I think I can show you why I'm doing it in faith. And I'd say apart from exigency, apart from urgent cases, leave me alone. <laughs> I mean, what you can do, 
What you can do is try to show someone why something you think is beautiful is good to them. I mean, so if I come up with an idea for an ABF, and I'm excited about it, and I can go to the elders, and I'm like, hey, what do you think about this? And I'm trying to show them, I got this, it's shiny, it's bright in my eyes, and it's beautiful to me. And I can, this is the way wisdom works, right? You can't command wisdom. You can only, like, like, a, like a ring in a pig's snout is a proverb in the mouth of a fool, right? Um, so I can show it to you. Hey, doesn't this look cool? And if you get excited about it, now we can do this thing. But if you're like, nah, doesn't seem that beautiful to me. I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm not really excited about it. There's not a whole lot more I can do in getting you on board with it. Um, if I'm trying to get JP to co-lead an ABF with me. Either I'm going to come up with something that we both find is exciting and beautiful, or we're not, or I'd have to manufacture some urgent need. Um, <laughs> every other person in the church has COVID, JP. Stand in the gap, you know. Um, but apart from that, that's all we got, right? I mean, and this is the problem people with ministries, because everyone in the ministry thinks they're in Like, if you're the Awana leader, then Awana is the most important thing in the church. I know you love the Lord, JP. Where are you going to serve in Awana? You know, um, no, no, we got to be, we, no, and we got to be, we got to be careful because, you know, just, you need to be doing good works in faith and love. You need to be serving the body of Christ. You need to be doing some level of ministry. But there's just wide open freedom to what? You know what I mean? Um, and so, sure, we, we can, people can challenge, I mean, this, oh, yes, sir, question, go. The microphone, microphone. Yeah. So what about, can you be accused of wasting your talents? For example, if you are this great orator or debater, but you're say, no, I'm going to do nursery. That's my thing. Could you say, okay, look, you're, you seem to be wasting your talent. You're, ta- you're talking about the Pharrell to Calvin? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's completely illegitimate. I think what you have to, what you, so, no, let's, 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 uh, the example I, I came up with is Pharrell. So, so Calvin's traveling through Geneva, Switzerland, and he stops in Geneva, and his friend Pharrell there uh, says to him, you know, you're so gifted as this pastor, you got to stay, and if you don't, God will judge you. And so, no, let's just say, let's just say God um, converts a concert level uh, yo-yo ma becomes a Christian and comes to our church. And Yo-Yo Ma is convinced he's made an idol out of the cello. And so he's not going to play cello. We're like, no, you need to play. And Dan Barth really wants him in the Christmas <laughs> cantata. And, and like by, against his own master, he stands and falls. He's not accountable to me on that. Now, it's, now this is what we've got to be careful, because what we start doing is judging motives, right? And so the temptation would be, that's hard work. You just prefer doing nursery because it's easy then look that in the face and say, that's what you're thinking. No, this, no, this gets tough, because another friend of mine who's, in, who's on the mission field was talking about how a guy that he... There's a rich guy at this church in Chicago that he basically got to come over and make a pitch of his ministry, and the guy chose not to, to invest in it. And he was talking about how stingy this guy is. And like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a much bigger claim, and you don't have remotely the evidence for that. Like, fair enough, if this guy's hoarding his money, like, he stands condemned, he's dead while he lives, you know, right? How do you know he doesn't support 25 missionaries, he just didn't want to help you? <laughs> like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But, but he's free to say no, isn't he, right? Now, I agree, he's not free to hoard his money. He's not free to live self-indulgently, 
but what law says he has to give to you? I mean, otherwise, let me, let me, put, let me make the simplest illustration of the point I can. If we are walking down the street and there's a homeless person asleep on a bench, and I look at him and I say, is that your neighbor, JP? You say, yeah, I guess that's my neighbor. Do you think he'd be blessed by a bowl of soup? Do you think it'd be an act of love and kindness? Yeah, I suppose it would be a loving, kind thing to buy that man a bowl of soup. Okay, then I command you to go do the goods you know to do and buy that person a bowl of soup right now. And if you don't, you sin and you need to repent. Either that math works or it doesn't work. I don't think it works. But if it doesn't work, you've got to figure out why it doesn't work. Does that illustration make, do you get my point? Yeah. If I can just prove, if I can just, if I can just, if, no, 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 no. I'm coming back. I'm, I'm trying to. Re- Your question is about someone squandering their gifts. Right. Then I think what you need to question is why would they be squandering their gifts? And there maybe maybe there's a false modesty, or maybe there's a, a a laziness, or maybe or maybe they got really good reasons. Maybe they're really talented in something, and they know in the past. When, when I first got saved, I sold my guitar, all my CDs. All, music had been an idol in my life. And I didn't touch any of that stuff again for years. You know, but if you found out that I could play guitar and stuff, you're like, look, man, why won't you help out and be on the worship team? Like, dude, no. I could see how that would be confusing to you, right? And in time, the Lord redeemed it, and in time, that's fine. But, but I, if you want to know why, you can ask me why. But if you want to charge me that I'm being a poor steward, I'm just going to say, man, look, get me your text, that you, that you think I'm sinning against. Because I, I, I'm doing this with a clean conscience. I'm doing this, I believe in faith. I've thought it through. Which means what you can do, I mean, you've had this experience. Somebody watches a movie and you're shocked that they watched it. Like, I think we can, as Christians, say, brother, I would, if, you, if you'd be so kind, I would love to hear how you came to the conclusion that that was. I mean, the problem is you can say that and it sounds like an implied judgment, right? And the, the difficulty would be actually saying it honestly. Like, help. This happened, like... We've never done Halloween. Help me think. I'd love to hear your thought process because I know your family dressed up as, you know, superheroes last year. And we've never figured out how to do that in faith. How do you do that? Fair enough. Like, I'm asking you. What I'm saying is, how did you do that in faith and love? Which is always, I think, a fair question. How did you choose to do anything in faith and love? That's a fair question. I'm under that law. I'm under the requirement of acting in faith and love, which means you can legitimately ask me to explain how I did anything in faith and in love. Fair enough. Um, and there'd be other requirements, like with a letter. Did you give any thought to kindness? Because we're told to be kind. Yeah, no, we gave some thought to that. I, th- I wish you'd done more. Duly noted, like, not trying to be a jerk, duly noted, but like, with the wisdom God gave us, this is the amount of time we spent to kindness on this thing. You know? Um, but, but it could very quickly just be... I'm, I'm trying to mainly resist this yoke of an impossible hill you can never climb. The, the, uh, the issue of... Uh, Wasting your gifts, you either have to get them to see the beauty of it or figure out the sin you think that's going on there. But I, I don't see any reason why God, just based on where people are at in their lives. No, right. I'm also stuck with that. You know, you're, you're, you're still just accountable to God and not to me. So that's where you're going to have to leave it, right? Well, let's, let's imagine you've got some, okay, a big Hollywood person gets saved. And you, man, you could do all this stuff. But they know in their conscience that they loved being praised and being on stage, and they think it's good for a season in life to do something humble and without any attention, and you're just pulling your hair out because, man, if we could have you speak, we'd be able to draw 20,000 people. 
help them see the beauty in that. But if they don't see the beauty in that, I don't think you got anything else. You know what I mean? Or if what's really going on is if you really love the Lord, then, then come out and say that. I question your love for the Lord because you don't do this thing that seems good to me. But that, the second you say it, it sounds ridiculous. But, but uh, yeah. Okay. One more question. Simeon, and let me call it a day. So there's like a school of faith in the near area that they, I know they like have like movie watch lists and not watch lists and other sure. instructions on sure. things to do and not do, yeah. which it went at what point is that okay and not okay, I guess, because this kind of also hits that in a sense, because there's some things that are, the Bible doesn't say you can't watch an R rated movie like. Um, no, Saving but, Private Ryan. Sure. Let me, Some people don't want to do that. Sure. Some people are like, that's fine. No, no. And this is where it's good to have discussions because, like, what law is there when it comes to media? Um, I think there are some, right? I don't think a Christian could say it's a matter of conscience if they're watching pornography. Um, so I think there are law. There is law. And so... So I think the issue you've got to work through is the shamefulness of nakedness. Apart from any sexual temptation, nakedness is shameful. That's the thing I think most people miss, is it is shameful. Not sinful, shameful. It's meant to... The man and the woman were ashamed, and there's no third-party lusting involved. And God agrees, it's not good for you to be naked, and he made them clothes. Um, so, like, take just... Well, you'd have to think through every one of these things and figure things out. Let's take shame. Now, when my wife has babies, there's people in a room who a portion of her nakedness is uncovered. It's shameful. Why do we do that? For the help, the redemptive help of preserving her life, preserving the life of the child, we endure the shame. Shame's not equal to sin, right? So um, in, this, in the same way, doctors are enduring the shame of these things. But in one sense, I think it's totally right that it still feels awkward. Nakedness outside of the marriage bed should be shameful which is why babies aren't ashamed because they're babies. And then they grow up and all of a sudden they start to get some level sense of, oh. Um, so with that as a principle, I would say that it is no Christian, my personal conviction, I'd be happy to talk this through with you. I don't believe any Christian can knowingly look on the nakedness of another purely for enjoyment and entertainment. Now there's one gray area that I'm talking about Save It Private Ryan, not Save It Private Ryan, Schindler's List. At least... You see, you see some nakedness of the Jews being deloused and stuff. And I say, at least Spielberg is showing that it's shameful. I, what I definitely don't think he can do, what I definitely don't think he can do, is take something that's shameful and have a, the way the camera angle is shot, the way the movie is done is portrayed. No, it's glorious. It's funny. It's beautiful. It's humorous. It's, no, it's shameful. Now, at least Spielberg's making it clear, this is shameful. Um, so I'd be open to someone saying, no, I, I, think, I think that can be okay because it, it encourages my faith to remind me of the shamefulness and the wickedness of how they were treated. Like, I think you maybe can make an argument around that one. But certainly in your rom-com that's got nudity, like what was the nakedness there for? It was funny. It was enticing. It was alluring. They're distorting it. Right. No, no, that's shameful. You're lying about the nakedness. You're lying about it. Um, so I, I, I'd, I'd probably draw a pretty hard line on that. And so if someone were to say, heads up, you may not have known that this, new, this movie's got nakedness in it, um, 
then that's helpful. But maybe your plan is we're going to look away. Like Serena and I, whenever weird things come on the screen we didn't see coming, we just make eye contact until it's... Are we done yet? No? Oh, no. Okay. Okay. Now, we try to avoid movies where we have to do that, but that's our regular pattern. So maybe you find out, how'd you watch that movie? Yeah, we skipped that section. One of my favorite movies has got this 10 seconds of a girl changing. I don't know why they put it in. She's changing her top, and they keep it on camera while she does it. It doesn't advance. The plot doesn't do anything. Um, And so um, when we watch it, we just have to fast-forward it. You know, but I'm not going to lend it to anyone or anything because they don't know where to fast forward, and I'm not going to, you know. But uh, it's just frustrating. I wish I had like editing software because it doesn't serves no purpose. Um, and <laughs> no, but like, what I mean is, it's like I don't know why the director put it in. It's not like anyway. But then you get to language issues, and certainly um, it gets more complicated because, again, are they portraying things as they truly are? Right. So, like, I could have someone speak coarse, wicked language and at least show it as wicked. I definitely have a much greater problem. Like, no, it's actually really funny. It's actually really witty and clever and good. I think now you're lying about stuff. But that's going to get really tricksy because different people are going to be responding different ways. So I think there clearly are biblical principles involved. And what is this getting your heart to rejoice and delight in whatever? You're not going to have as much law like... Is, is this movie enticing you, encouraging your heart to, a, to affirm a lie? Well, in that sense, I'd say, I'll go one more second, then we'll be done. I think, like, Bridges of Madison County is one of the most evil movies I've ever seen in my life. The whole purpose of that movie, as far as I can tell, is to get you to sympathize with and see adultery is really not that bad. It's an apologetic for adultery. The whole movie, two kids find mama's... Um, diary in the attic after she's dead and they read about the summer when dad went to the the fair with the kids and she was home alone and Clint Eastwood came by and National Geographic photographer and they have this whirlwind and he wants her to go off with her and she's really tempted and she doesn't go off with her she stays with her husband and and the two children after seeing this the son is like mom was awful and the movie clearly wants you to sympathize with the daughter who says, no, 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 mom loved dad and she stayed with dad, but she needed that. Like, that's just, if, if you leave watching that movie sympathizing for adultery, something bad has happened. <laughs> and that, as far as I can tell, is what that movie's doing. I, I wouldn't say you can't watch it, but what I would say is you can't entice your heart to love lies. You know, like, and you can't knowingly, willingly but it's so, so entertaining to be enticed to believe lies. It's not a good reason to do that. So, okay. But that's just one example of one thread over movies. But no, there's not a whole bunch of law. I'd say that you can probably make a law around nudity. You know what I mean? Um, but even there, like I said, with Schindler's List, there might be exceptions. But, okay, we're five minutes over. Godspeed, God bless, God day.